Hello, Church at Five. Uh, let me just first say it's really great to be back, uh, even if back looks a little bit different uh, than from the last time that I was up here with the opportunity to preach to you guys. Uh, and I definitely really miss having the time to see you all face-to-face, meeting under one roof. Uh, it feels like it's been forever. And I certainly hope we can get back to that uh, as soon as possible. But that said, I also want to just kind of emphasize that it's, I'm incredibly grateful that even in this time, even with all of this that's going on, we're still able to meet, so to say, and be doing church together as a community. Uh, so even if it's a bit unconventional, I'm glad that you're here uh, with us today, joining us to be doing church together. Today marks the beginning of our new series, Humans of the Bible. I'm really excited about this series. It's been for a while, and it's good to be doing something new, to be doing something a little bit different after we've been so long in the book or the letter to the Colossians. As Sam mentioned last week, we've actually been it for half a year. I was a bit surprised by that. I can't believe that it's already been so long. Uh, and I just want to give a special thanks to Sam for kind of bringing us in, uh, so to say, uh, to the end and kind of finishing off that series and I think finishing it off really strong and diving in a little extra deep for such a small book. Uh, But as you mentioned, it's a small book, but it's very power-packed, very power-packed letter. So I'm glad we took the time to go through that letter. And today, as we start Humans of the Bible, we're going to be going in a little bit different direction than what we kind of normally do or what's the norm here in Calvary Chapel. Um, And if that sounds familiar to you, you may have heard of something called Humans of New York, which was a a web series where uh, they kind of did interviews of interesting New Yorkers. And that was definitely some of the inspiration for this series, I have to admit, but just an inspiration. Uh, We'll certainly be going in a different direction than that. Uh, First of all, we can't really physically interview uh, anybody from the Bible, any of the humans that we find in the Bible. Uh, And second, because we cannot talk about humanity or about the Bible or anything in creation without bringing God into the story, because he is the author of all things. So we have to bring him into the story as well. And when we read through the narratives of the humans of the Bible, we're going to be reminded and we're going to see a lot of the beauty of God's creation and His grace and His love and His mercy that He shows us in our humanity. God uses simple human beings to do extraordinary things all throughout the Bible from beginning to end. But even, as we'll see, even when humans mess up, even when they do horrible things or horrendous things, God still finds a way to build His purposes for our redemption even through their failings and failures and even wickedness at times. His authorship and sovereignty is seen in every human story from the very beginning that we see in Scripture to our stories today. His authorship and sovereignty reigns true in every human story. And as we go into this series, I do want you to know uh, that we're not going to be able to unpack every aspect of every individual that we look at uh, in, in the in this series. Uh, It's just not going to be the goal that we have here in this series. So I know there's going to be times, oh, why didn't you mention this? Why didn't you say this? There's there's kind of a goal, a a rhythm that we're trying to keep here. And we're trying to, we're not trying to uh, have this kind of complete character study or of each individual uh, that we choose, each human that we choose to look at. 
Uh, rather, we want to kind of take cross sections of their life, try to understand the circumstances that surround their narrative in the Bible, and pull from their story something that God is trying to show us in our humanity in connection with His divinity. Always comes back to God. God is always involved in the stories, and we're going to see that. And I hope that as we do that, each week we'll always leave with some kind of application, but also a demonstration as we look through the text that the Bible is not the experiences of fictional characters, but real human beings that lived and breathed as we do today. I really believe that it can be really helpful, actually, when we're reading Scripture. And I hope that you take this with you beyond this series. Uh, When we're reading the stories, that we're aware that they were actual real people. They had their favorite foods. They had the days that they had great, just great days, the days in the sun like we're having today. And the bad days. They had days of great joy and pleasure and moments of sadness and depression and anger and frustration. They had people in their lives that loved them and that they loved in return. And they had people that really annoyed them and they couldn't stand. And they had jobs and daily lives and families. When we look at humans of the Bible, rather than simply characters of a narrative, of some story, we're forced to bring their stories closer to our own and to look into the mirror that is found in each and every one of their stories that always reflects God's truth back onto ourselves. That truth that is always revealing to us that we are in great need of saving as humans. And the only way that we are saved is by God through Christ Jesus. This is the story of humans of the Bible. And this is what we'll be looking at. So there is the introduction to the series. You're welcome. So now without further ado... Uh, Let's go ahead and get to our first human of the Bible that we'll be looking at in the series. And well, really, uh, the first human, uh, actually, literally the first human. Uh, Today we're going to be starting with Adam. And to be perfectly honest, just uh, as a side note here, since I first started, I had the idea of the series and kind of was going through what I could do. I really had no idea where to start. And I was actually, uh, up to last week, I still had no idea what to do. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's quite a lot of options. In fact, uh, I don't know if you know, but there are 3,237 different people named in the Bible. Yes, I just knew that fact. No, I had to look it up. But uh, yes, uh, many of those names are just names in a list. I can hear you already. But uh, there are still hundreds, maybe thousands of human stories that we can look at. So where do we begin? In hindsight, Adam is kind of the obvious choice. I see that now. Uh, But uh, I do want to give a shout out to Antonia, who last week when I brought this to my Church at Five uh, leaders team, I was like, I don't know where to start. And she was like, "Uh, why don't you start with Adam? You know, the very beginning. She didn't say it quite so condescending, but I just, it made me very grateful. I have a good team and that humbles me at times. So yeah, Adam, that's the obvious place to start when we're looking at the beginning of a series and looking at humans of the Bible. Adam's story in itself begins a little different than most. Uh, In fact, it's pretty one of a kind when it comes to human beginnings. If we read Genesis 2-7 that we looked at already, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. 
So as his eyes were slowly opening and light was coming in for the very first time, he wasn't unaware, crying like a baby, as we all were when we first opened our eyes. God created him as a man, awake and aware. He was created out of the dust of the earth, made from the very same elements as, we, as all of creation that God had made. His very life was breathed into him directly by God himself. And I do want to just take a side note here and make sure that you understand when I'm talking about Adam, we're looking at Adam as a historical person. He lived and breathed. He was a real person. Now, some of you might be kind of cringing in your seats a little bit. I know I can feel it already. Uh, because when it comes to Genesis and creation uh, and there's just a lot of different varying understandings and beliefs on creation. And at least in my experience, I found people tend to get a little passionate about what they believe about the topic of creation. Uh, so just as a side note, uh, but I think something that's very important for you to understand is that Adam was a real historical person. He's not just a metaphor in Scripture for mankind but was a real person, and especially when we look at Genesis 2 and 3, we see a historical accounting of what took place in the garden just before and as sin entered the world through Adam and Eve in their disobedience. So I want to be clear, when I'm making the statement that Adam and Eve are or were historical people who really lived, uh, we're not actually making any claims about the how of creation. Those are two different topics, so uh, you can relax. Don't need to cringe too much in your seat there. Uh, in fact, we're not going to focus so much on the how of creation today. In fact, we're going to be focused on the why. Because, in my opinion, that's so much more important and ultimately so much more fascinating and relevant for us today. And what God chose to reveal to us, although he chose not to reveal all the details of the how. He did tell us a lot about the why. So we're looking at the creation of man, God's purpose for man, and the fall of man in the garden through Adam. As the be- or at least uh, to the best of our ability, we're going to try to maintain this perspective that Adam might have had as, and what his story tells us about our own and our relationship with God even to today. The story has started pretty well, right? He's created. God breathed life into him. God had created all things. And then God created a man. And then God said, it is good. It is good. I love that it is good. And we talk about good, I think, way too much. We say things are good way too often. And we miss what is really being said here. It's not, uh, God is not taking quality control. You know, just, okay, Adam, all the ten, ten toes, ten fingers, good, check. He's not checking off a list when he says, it is good. It is a a statement of pleasure. God was pleased with what he had made. And he was pleased to share it with the pinnacle of his handiwork, mankind. Genesis 2, 8 through 9, really kind of shows us that image. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge 
of good and evil. So interesting uh, kind of side note or thought. Uh, God formed Adam first, so we know that he's kind of uh, experiencing this, uh, just him and God in the beginning, and he made him this beautiful, amazing garden that he could enjoy with him. Let me just let that sink in for a minute. God created this great, wonderful place, more beautiful than anything we can imagine, more beautiful than anything we've seen, and I've seen some beautiful places on earth today, but this it would pale in comparison to what that garden would have looked like, and he got to just enjoy it with God. And we're not told how much time had passed uh, before Eve came, and I, this is purely my speculation and opinion. You can read the text how you would like to in that sense, because it's not very clear. Uh, but it, I get the sense that actually a lot of time may have passed before uh, Eve came into the picture. And it could have been even potentially years that God spent uh, with Adam in the garden before Eve was created. We don't know, but either way, a beautiful image. And this brings us to our first purpose of mankind. When God created, it, this is in the, the purity of creation, before the fall, before things fell down and got uh, messed up through the sin that was brought into the world by Adam. We see this purpose of pleasure and enjoyment, to just enjoy things, to enjoy a beautiful day, to enjoy the presence of God, to enjoy. That's a cool thing that we see right there in the garden. Things were good in the garden. Again, more beautiful than we could possibly fathom. More food that could be, than could be eaten, and there were peace with all the animals. Animals weren't eating each other. It wasn't dangerous uh, to hang out with the animals. It's just this big, beautiful place, this kind of giant outdoor playground that Adam got to enjoy with God. And God decided to make man in his own image so that, so that we would be creatures capable of perceiving and enjoying the good things that he had made so that he, we can enjoy them with him. Not, the animals aren't capable of enjoyment, that the, the enjoyment and perceiving the joy and the pleasure that we are. That's a part of our image of God that we have. I think about this idea of, of gazing at a beautiful piece of artwork. Uh, if you go into like a, a, a museum or, or just if you've ever seen a piece of art that really speaks to you, you know, you have that moment, you're just like, whoa. You kind of have to sit down for a minute and just take it in. Imagine this big, wonderful, the most beautiful piece of art you can think of. And then sitting next to you on the bench is the creator themselves, the artist. And he leans over and says, you know, I made this piece just so I could enjoy it with you. It really adds, it fills you with joy because it's not only are you celebrating the piece of work or the piece of art in itself and the beauty that it has, but you also get to enjoy the personal aspect that you were brought into it for a reason. This is one of the great purposes we see for humanity. Another purpose that we see in the garden uh, for humans is to work. Yeah, work. I know, I mean, I I have work every day this week, and sometimes I think, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if it doesn't feel like a gift from God all the time. Uh, But to be clear, work is a gift of God, but... What we see in the fall is tiredness and stress and always wanting more or uh, having this kind of uh, covetousness for more money or chasing after a career. These things come from the fall. But work in itself is a good thing. It's good to work. 
and work is a gift from God. And Adam, we see Adam as this intelligent man and this capable man with his hands. We see him working to tend the garden. He says that in Genesis 2.15 that he tended the garden that God had planted for him. God didn't just say, hey, I'm going to plant this and make sure everything stays perfect. He said, here, it is. Now take care of it. It was a, a gift of him, for, of God, to take, for Adam to take care of it. And then we see him also naming all of the animals uh, in Genesis 2.19-20. through 20. So God's purpose for mankind was not to just kind of laze about uh, eating grapes. I always get this image of grapes when it comes to being lazy for some reason. Uh, Adam worked, even in God's perfect creation, and he found great joy in his work. Our third purpose we see in God's uh, initial creation is relationship. Relationship. Now, God saw it is not or, yeah, God, we see this in uh, what God says. He says, God saw it is not good, it is not good for man to be alone. So then God established the first marriage. Now people talk about soulmates that, oh, I think this person is just made for me, or I'm, uh, I, can, I feel like there's a soul connection. And here in this case, it actually was uh, true that they were made for each other. I don't know about since then, but certainly here. It is a part of God's good purpose for us to not be alone. That's good news. And marriage is certainly a very special and important and unique gift of God when it comes to this. In marriage, we enter into a partnership and we are two distinctly unique creations of God that come together to become one flesh. It's this beautiful image. I want to read through the accounting of that uh, as Eve comes onto the scene in Genesis 2. 21 through 24. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. That ribs is just a loose translation. It actually just means side of him, took a piece of his side, and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It's an incredibly powerful thing that should be sought after for those who have the gift to find it. Uh, But this is not a sermon on marriage, so we're not going to get into that. Quick side note, though, as Eve has now come into the picture, uh, Eve actually means mother of all the living. Uh, And uh, if you didn't know, today is Mother's Day. So if you haven't uh, contacted your mom yet, it's not too late. So make sure you do that. And for me, mom, if you're watching, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Moving on. Uh, So I also want to note that uh, it's not good for any of us to be alone in God's plan and His purpose, even if you're not married and I think it's an interesting thing or a powerful statement that when Jesus uses, that Jesus uses marriage as an image or an example for describing the church between himself and the body of Christ. I believe that there's this message that as Christians today, we're not, we're not meant to do life alone, to live alone, to stand alone. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. Being a part of, and if that means just being a part of a local church community, it's not just a good idea to do that. It's not just convenient for you. It's a vital part of spiritual growth and personal growth. 
It's not good for us to be alone, and we don't need to be. God, in His purpose, for, in His good purpose for us, wants us to belong to a body of believers, and for those who find it, uh, to be united to one person in marriage. So, we see the purpose of being united together, especially in marriage, in God's original design for creation. And lastly, the greatest purpose for humanity is that we are created for communion with God. All of God's, you're thinking, well, he hasn't talked about communion with God. I was getting there. We're building to it. It's the all-encompassing one. All of God's gifts that we've seen and all that we see from him, from the beginning of creation, we're all about experiencing communion with him. Humans were created to be brought into perfect unity with the Trinity. God said in Genesis, uh, we see in 1, Genesis 1, 26, he says, let us make mankind in our image. This kind of quick drop of the Trinity, I feel, right there in the text. God in himself, and this is the perfect expression of love. That's what we see in the Trinity. We don't have time to get into the Trinity today, but we see the perfect expression of love. And the point that, or the important thing to note from that, is that he didn't need anything else. He didn't need us to make him complete. He didn't create mankind because he was lonely and needed a friend. We're not God's Wilson, his ball that he can just kind of have someone to talk to so he's not alone. That's not what it's about. In God's perfect creation, he created us to be an extension and to be brought into that perfect unity of love. And in God's perfect creation, the purpose of communion with mankind, he also gave Adam and Eve free will. Because you cannot have love and relationship without choice. God didn't want robots. He wanted a relationship. God wants to experience and enjoy the pleasures of his creation along with his creations. So Adam and Eve had a choice to trust God, to obey him, or to reject his truth. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man. This is an interesting note that actually the man is the one who gets the command from God and then he passes it on to Eve later. Uh, so he commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. A lot of freedom. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Spoiler alert, they eat the fruit, if you didn't know. Keeping in line with Adam's perspective here, I want you to take a look at the transition as things kind of move. It move they move really quick now. After that, after that moment that they eat the fruit, we don't have time to get into the full depth of what all that we can look at in that temptation itself. I want to look at this transition that happens, especially in line with the, their reaction to it. So before sin, there was freedom. Genesis 2, 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I don't want you to miss the power of they felt no shame and how important that is and how impossible that is now in a fallen world. They had innocence. They had no guilt complex, something that many people say that all humans suffer from at one level or another. They had no shame, no regret, no worries, no fears, no doubts. 
Can you imagine? That's a beautiful existence. Then sin came in by way of a redirecting of their desire. By a redirecting of their desire. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve didn't sin when they bit into the fruit. It wasn't the moment their teeth sank in. They sinned when they looked at the fruit and decided in their hearts it was good. They decided in their hearts it was good. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Disobeying God's command, choosing to not trust His word, and rejecting His truth looked good to them. This is the root of all sin. To choose creation over the Creator. To reject the truth of God. To say, I hear what you're saying, God, but I think I know better. I think I know better than you. As is so often the case, the temptation lures us in, and the moment we decide... It is good. When that choice leads to an action, we have already sinned the moment we decided to do it. The following actions, when we actually bite in, when our teeth sink into that fruit, that's when our eyes are open to the truth. The truth of our sin in our heart. And that's where we see immediately the change where guilt and shame come into play. After sin enters their hearts, and by connection, all of humanities, the weight of sin follows. The weight of sin. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I want to be clear. You can argue with me about this maybe another time. Give me a call. Uh, I don't think that they were like unaware that they were naked. I mean, like, as in they were aware of the state of their being at any given moment. But they became aware of the sin that was now in their hearts. And that brought the weight of sin, which makes us shame or brings shame on us. And what does Adam do? The very moment sin enters his heart, enters the world, enters humanity, he creates religion. We see this perfect expression of religion in the fig leaves. It's a man's feeble attempt to cover his sin, to cover himself up, to hide his shame in his own strength and by his own abilities. Those fig leaves seemed pretty foolish, though, when they were brought into the real presence and power of God. Genesis 3, 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. Sorry, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. They tried running away and hiding yeah, that should work out pretty well, hiding from God. We often do this when we're confronted with our sin. 
by God's truth. This is what the Word of God does. That's why it's so important to preach the Word of God and to hear the Word of God. It brings God's presence into our life, makes us aware of our sins. But so often, and so many people, when confronted with that, they want to run and hide. Many, when shown the weight of their sin, choose their own way to reject God and to try and run and hide all the days of their life. It's such foolishness. It's as foolish as the fig leaf. If we continue on in Genesis 3, Uh, with verse 9 through 13. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. When God asked, Did you disobey? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to? Is God genuinely curious whether or not they did? He's like, Well, that's weird that they know that. How'd that happen? No. He knows what's going on. And I believe, this may be speculation, But I believe he was creating an opportunity and maybe showing us a foreshadowing of the first act of repentance. I often wonder what would have happened, what would it have looked like if Adam had immediately said, Yes, I did, and I'm sorry, God. I shouldn't have done that. I don't know what I was thinking. I sinned. No one else's fault. I sinned against you. We'll never know what would have happened. Instead of repentance, we get the blame game. And who are they really blaming the whole time? God. It's your fault, God. And we still hear that today. Nothing has changed since the very first sin. It's the woman you gave me. It's the serpent. You made the serpent. It's your fault. Immediately want to pass the buck on to someone else. And Adam and Eve, whether we like it or not, are our representatives. They represent all of humanity. If you think, oh, I wouldn't have done it, I would have done better, hmm, let's take a closer look at our own hearts and the own sins we've committed. Through Adam and Eve and their disobedience as God's choice for the representation for humanity, in their disobedience to God and sin, death and sin and the fall came into being. The world you and I are born into We know this to be true because everyone dies, right? We know this to be true because we don't have to teach children to be evil. We know this to be true because we all have had those experiences, especially those who belong, those, oops, sorry, hitting the microphone, those of us who belong to uh, God, we've all had that experience of having our eyes opened to our nakedness. We became aware that we are sinners and we need help. After being kicked out of the garden, Adam saw firsthand the result of the sin that he had brought into the world through his own sons, which became the first murder in human history. And Adam lived 930 years, pretty long life, uh, at least after the garden. We don't know how long he lived in the garden. And then he died, returned to the dust from which he came. But as soon as sin entered the world, so did the plan of redemption. And there's a sign given here at the very 
end of chapter 3. Genesis 3.21, a sign of the coming promise of hope. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. From here on, the Bible is the story of God's redemption plan to bring us back into relationship with Him. They felt their nakedness, which was really a revealing of the sin that had come into their hearts when they chose to reject God's truth. They tried to cover it up with fig leaves, with religion, and they tried running and hiding and rejecting God. But to cover sin, a sacrifice had to be made. God's sacrifice of the animal to cover their bodies and their nakedness was a foreshadowing of the sacrifices that would be required later through the Mosaic Law and ultimately, of course, the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices and bring us into perfect unity again with God when Jesus Christ would come and lay down His life not to hide sin, not to cover up sin, but to free us from it by taking the sin on himself through his death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus is the second Adam, the last Adam. He is and has completed the work of bringing us back into right standing with God. And I want to close you by reading Genesis 3.9 again, just as an encouragement uh, for you to take home with you in all of this. Genesis 3.9, But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? This is a hope, I feel, when I read this. When man sinned, it was not he who decided to change his life, to do the right thing. He tried to cover his sin, to hide his sin to run from God. Ultimately, though, it was God who sought him when he sinned. God sought him out. You and I are born into sin, completely without hope. And when the Bible talks about the death that that entered into humanity through Adam, it's also referring to a blindness. The Bible in the New Testament talks about that we are dead in our trespasses. We We don't even see them sometimes. We're unable to repent in ourselves and in our own strength. And we're certainly not able to hide them or remove them from ourselves. We will fail at that, but He won't. And He is the one who seeks after you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your perfect plan of creation. Lord, that You want us to enjoy life. You want us to find pleasure in things, and you want us to have good work. You want us to have relationship with one another, and you want us ultimately in all of these things to have relationship with you. That was broken through Adam's sin, but through Christ it is being restored as we choose to follow him and surrender our lives to him as you call on us. Father, I pray that you would give us hope in all of the sins that we're maybe dealing with today and all of the things that we're struggling with now to know that you are seeking us out and we don't need to sow fig leaves. We don't need to hide. 
we can just come to you and repent. And you are faithful and just to forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a couple quick reminders before we do our blessing for today. I just wanted to encourage you, if you haven't yet, uh, please subscribe. Subscribe to the CCF YouTube channel. It's a great way to make sure you're getting all the updates, knowing what's going on. As I feel like it's changing all the time. We want you to be up to date. And also all of the sermons uh, that will be uploaded. So if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Make sure that you're getting the notifications so you know what's going on and the latest sermon to be listening to. And I hope to see you all next week uh, when we'll take a look at another human of the Bible. And now for the blessing, uh, if you are okay with it, I don't know where you are, maybe you're in a coffee shop, I don't know what's going on, but you can stand for the blessing. This is just a, a statement of saying that we receive the blessing of God and we believe uh, in receiving that blessing. And this is from Second Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.